Thank the Lord and kind of bringing into this year and um, reigning a new one. We're super excited for um, all that the Lord's done in us and for us and hopefully doing has been doing through us as well. And so great singing this morning, great worship, kind of an unplugged set today. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Wasn't sure the way uh, Ricky, a.k.a. Scrooge, started, the way he kind of said he didn't like Christmas, didn't know if Hellfire and Brimstone were going to come down on us today, but I actually think he loves the Lord after all. <laughs> so if you want to grab your Bible, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. That's where we're going to be this morning. And, um, you know, we're four days away from the beginning of a new year. Now, we've mentioned that and we've heard it on television and, and we've obviously been kind of through the ringer in many ways this year. And so there's a lot of anticipation, a lot of expectation on what's ahead of us because we, we hope that better days are ahead and not more of the same of what we've been experiencing. But we're four days away from the beginning of the new year. So 2020 is going to be in the rear view and a new year is getting started. Anybody excited about that? I mean, we're excited about that this year, probably because of what we've endured. But the older I get, I'm finding myself thinking I'd rather kind of hold on because another year means I'm another year older, right? And so that's never a good thing. This is kind of downhill once you get past 30. I was thinking this morning, because I heard my youngest talking to Kara in the restroom or the bathroom as they're getting ready this morning, saying something about being a teenager. She's five. Being a teenager and 13, I'm thinking, why do children always long to get older? It's like when you're five, you want to be six. When you're six, you want to be seven. When you're nine, you're like quasi preteen, you're like, I just want to be 13. I want to get those teenage years. Then when you're 13, you're like, I want to be 16 so I can drive and have a little bit more freedom. Then when you're 16, you're like, I just want to be 18 and out of school. And when you're 18, you're like, I want to be 21 so I can officially be an adult and, and make adult decisions. And then when you're 21, you're thinking, golly, I just want to be 25. But when you hit 30, it's like, I want to go back to 21. I want to go back to, I don't know if I necessarily want to go back to the teenage years, but the 20s were pretty good, you know, but after that, it kind of was all downhill physically, at least. I love the mental side, the spiritual side, all that's been good now that I'm uh, beyond 30, let's just say that. So we're, we're hoping for a better year that's ahead of us. We're hoping that there's no more of the things that we've been enduring this year. You know, at this time of year, when we move into a new era, we often start thinking about what we can do better, what we can do different. New Year's resolutions come around, right? We begin to think of uh, the decisions we need to make. Maybe we need to, to try to lose the 15 pounds we put on during this last month from Thanksgiving through the Christmas season. I, I, I tipped the scales yesterday and I won't even tell you what it said, but I was mortified that I have, I have passed a certain point of weight in my life. And so we got we to gotta move back, right? So we're thinking about New Year's resolutions. We're thinking about getting rid of some weight. We're thinking about perhaps ending that addiction that we've been battling for years. We're thinking about new disciplines we need to create or disciplines that we need to reestablish in our lives. We're thinking about all of the things that we would like to do differently, spend time with, more time with the family, uh, save some money, go on a special vacation, whatever it is that you want to do, we usually make those decisions today, right? As we look toward the new year, we're setting our sights on bettering our lives. And this desire for growth, this desire for maybe better health is a good thing. It's admirable. But here's what we need to also understand. It's estimated that 80% of all New Year's resolutions will fail by the end of mid-February. 
That's just a you know, gut buster right there. It's nothing that's going to lift you up. But it's true. Most of New Year's resolutions end by mid-February. I know every single year uh, at the gym, no matter what gym I've ever been a part of, there's this influx of people. About this time of year, it lasts through about the third week of January, and then it's back to the same old group of people that's there week in and week out. Why? It's because we don't follow through in our decisions. And so this is a bad thing. Why do they fail? In my opinion, it's because there's a lack of discipline. There's a, it all has to do with discipline. You see, in America, really people in general, but especially in America, we want immediate results. We want the result yesterday. Like if we think of an idea, like this is what I want, this is what I believe is going to better my life, we want the results of that decision, not tomorrow, not a month from now, we want them yesterday. That's the way Americans roll. And so when those things don't happen, when we begin to, to try to work out these new decisions in our life and they don't come with the immediate response that we want, we get tired and weary and we give up and go back to our old ways of life. And so we just simply want to snap our fingers and things be different. But I don't know about you, but I snap my fingers quite a bit and no one pays attention, much less those decisions that I'm making. So it's necessary that we, that we be disciplined. It requires discipline. And that's going to take time. It's going to take time for our decisions to work out. And so with that, we need to know it requires a plan. It requires that you be dedicated to that plan. And then it comes down to you patiently and methodically working the plan. If you don't have a plan for what you want to accomplish in your life, here's what I know about your plan. You'll never see it fulfilled. You got to have a plan. You got to work the plan. You got to stick with the plan, even when it becomes hard, difficult, and drudgery, because it's the plan and the plan's going to work. So, what it means is, is when we think about bettering our lives, as we think about growing and developing, we can't look at it like we're playing a short game. We have to look at it as if we're playing a long game right? We got to play the long game in life. So I'm not looking at the right here, the things that are in front of my feet. I'm not looking at the things that are going to happen tomorrow. I'm looking at how can I slowly and methodically turn the ship so that way down in the future, I'm a much better person. I'm much better off than I am today. I'm playing the long game in my growth and in my development. And that's what we try to do. That's what we strive to do as a church. Our approach to discipleship is the long game. It's, it's looking way down the road, way down into the future. Now, obviously, we want to see sinful people believe the gospel. We want to see people saved and redeemed. We want to see them place faith in Jesus Yet, not all that we want to see is just them saved. We want to see them grow and develop in their faith. We want to see all of us as disciples of Christ grow and develop. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 28. He tells us to go and make disciples, right? Evangelism, missions. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So what is Jesus telling us there in the Great Commission? 
He's basically telling us that after going to sinners with the gospel, what do we want to do? We obviously are seeking to lead them to faith in Christ, but when they come to faith in Christ, the next step is to baptize or connect them with a local church and begin to teach them all that the Lord has taught, all the commandments of God. We want to deepen the disciple of Christ in the word of God, in his relationship, in her relationship with the Lord Jesus. We desire to teach them what God has commanded. And so when we think about discipleship, it's not a short game. It's a long game. You're not going to become a fully developed follower of Jesus Christ day one, day two of your salvation. Anybody there yet? Anybody would say, I am absolutely like, if there's perfection here, I'm rubbing up against it. Anybody saying that this morning? I'm not. Why? It's, it's not a short game. It's going to take the duration of my life. It's going to take the duration of my time on this earth, walking step in step with the Lord. And so discipleship is a long game. It's so much more than just simply saying the sinner's prayers, more than getting our quote-unquote fire insurance that we tend to believe that that's what the Christian life is. If I can understand the gospel, if I can place my faith in Jesus, then I'm good. I'm just going to go live how I want. I've got my insurance. I've got my ticket into heaven. I've got my get-out-of-jail-free card, and it's fine and dandy to just go on with life. That's not Christian discipleship. Discipleship is learning and growing in Christ and with his church. And so this series that we're in, and we're going to finish it, Lord willing, next Sunday. This sermon series on the church is our approach to teach us as a church the long game. It's, it's talking about what it means to be a disciple, what it means to follow the Lord together as the people of God. And so think about what we could do. We could preach and teach a lot of cute and creative type of messages. We could come up with all kinds of tactics. And I'm not here to say those are bad things. We always want to be relevant. We always want to be uh, teaching a way that is applicable, that's understandable, that connects with our people. But it's not about creative and cute. Those are not prerequisites for spiritual growth. What's the prerequisite for spiritual growth? The Word of God. Setting under the Word of God. And so we work and preach. We work to preach and teach in ways that are understandable. But our desire is to simply put the emphasis where it needs to be. That is on the Word of God. Here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Timothy, I should say, 3.16. That the Word of God is, here's the Greek word, theonoustos, breathed out by God. So the word of God is not my word. It's not some theologian's word. It's not even an apostle or a prophet's word. It is the very word of God. So if I'm going to grow in my relationship with him, I must set under, receive, and be changed by the word that is breathed out, spoken by the Lord. It alone has the power to redeem and to transform our lives. And so as we as a church desire to see our people developed in the word of God, we want to prepare for longevity. We want to prepare for a lifetime of walking with the Lord. So rather than teaching five steps to a happy life, what we want to do is teach you the word of God so you can study, read it, understand it for yourselves so they don't have to come. Now, obviously, I'm not going to say don't come back to church. That's part of the walk, the walk you have with the Lord corporately together. But you're not contingent upon three little things or five little things or some sort of little baby step type week 
spiritual milk type of message to get you going. You're walking daily with the Lord, knowing the word of God for yourselves, building our people up in the whole counsel of God. That's our desire as a church. And in doing so, we discover much more than happiness. Here's what... Here's what our flesh and here's what immaturity would, would tell us to seek after. Be happy. Try to find something in your life that makes you happy. What happens to happiness? It doesn't last. I, I was amazed. You know, Christmas is, what, two days removed from Christmas? And your kids and grandkids probably got more stuff than they needed, right? You probably got more stuff than you needed. And so that morning, or maybe Christmas Eve, you're opening prayers, you're like, wow, this is awesome, wonderful. And then a day goes by, two days goes by, and it's like those things are old hat. Why? They lose their luster. They lose it pretty quickly, right? And it's amazing that when our kids were younger, this probably happened in your home as well, your, your little kids, like really, really small ones, you get them these gifts, and you've spent a lot of money on them, and you wrap them, you, you take all of this care to get the perfect gift for your child, and, and you turn around, and they're not playing with that. This is Christmas morning. They're not playing with the thing that costs $200. They're playing with the box that it came in. You're like, what in the world? You're, you're almost offended by it because you took so much care, cost so much money to bring this beautiful gift, and they're more concerned and more intrigued by the box than the item itself. So happiness never lasts. God's not called us or drawn us to a place of happiness. He says, I will give you joy, and joy will outlast the ups and downs, the mountains and the valleys that life involves. So we're playing the long game. The Lord will sustain us when happiness wanes. We're playing the long game. And playing the long game means that for us as a church, we're preaching and teaching through books of the Bible. This is where we began this series, talking about how we're a preaching people. We are a people that is grounded in this word. And we're not looking at it, trying to figure out just the little things that we like and the things that, that scratch us where we're itching. No, we want to take the whole counsel of God. And to do that, you've got to preach the easy and the hard and difficult portions of Scripture. So we work verse by verse, by and large, through books of the Bible. It's called expository preaching. We play the long game, and it also means that we preach and teach biblical doctrine. That's what are, really what this series is about, is what does the Word of God theologically have to say about the church? We, the technical term is ecclesiology, if you care to know those terms. I, I'm accused all the time of creating new words. I don't create new words. Y'all's vocabulary is just so small, you don't know them. So I'm trying to help you out told Ricky that earlier this morning. So we t teach on doctrine. We also, as a church, want to instruct ourselves on what the Bible teaches about sin as we talk about doctrine. Salvation, heaven, hell, eternity, the church. I mean, all these different topics, we look at them from a doctrinal position or a viewpoint. And so in this series on the church, it is doctrinal, which means it's geared towards solidifying our understanding of the local church. We want to see a high priority be on the church because God places a high priority on the church. Here's what we know, right? The Christian life is not individualistic. The Christian life is corporate in nature. And so we want to make sure that we highlight that as the people of God. It means we're going to tackle different difficult topics like commitment and discipline. We've looked at those over the last few weeks. We look at those and we teach those because they're important for our spiritual growth. Preaching on church discipline. Think about what I preached on last Sunday. 
And, and I, I, I planned to do it. I needed to do it. We needed to hear it. I even knew that it was going to be the Sunday before Christmas. But I'll be honest, preaching that type of message, that sort of subject matter, the Sunday before Christmas felt a little awkward. Maybe it was just the material because it's a difficult, weighty type of subject. But here's what we need to know as as a believer and as a church member. Discipline in the Christian life is part of the way that God grows us. I told you, I need men to to look at me in the face with love and with humility and with accountability. Say, Pastor, here's where you're blowing it in your life. You need that as well. Now, I don't need those people who come at it with a vindictive or, or, or a better, holier-than-now type of perspective. But when you love me and I love you and we have this relationship, we can speak that way to one another. That's really where church discipline rises and falls. You need it as well. So we're playing the long game. Messages like this may not build a huge crowd, but you know what they will build? Mature believers. And that's the long game. Uh, I, want, I want to reach as many people as we possibly can. There's, what, 30,000 or so people in Powhatan. There's 1.2, 1.4 million in the metro area. There's a lot of lost people in those numbers. I would love for God to allow us to be as large as he desires in his will for us to be. But it, my desire is not to build a big crowd. My desire is to build big Christians. How do we do that? We play the long game. It means we're going to tell you the stuff you don't want to hear at times. So in our preparation, we want to see incremental growth in our walk with Christ. We want to see it in the church. We want to see this growth, not because we're Americans obsessed with productivity. Though I am a person who wants to see productivity taken in my life. Maybe that's cultural, but I think it's biblical. Here's why I believe so. Let me just share a couple of different passages with you. There's way more than we have time to read this morning. Psalm 92, verses 12 and 13. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. Proverbs 24, 5. A wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might. Paul in Ephesians 4, he's talking to the church there about unity and about how to have that unity through their growth and development. He talks about uh, the gifts of, to the church being the apostles and, and, and prophets and teachers and evangelists. And he says in verse 15 and 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up itself up in love. What is Paul saying there? He's using the word that we're using this morning, grow. God's desire for us is that we grow individually and corporately. It's not an American thing. It's a biblical thing. And so growth is natural. Growth is intended. Growth is revealing. Think about what growth is. It's a sign of life. You see something growing, you see something living. Now, obviously, some of you are going to jump to and say, well, that, what, that, that word picture doesn't go in everything. No word picture goes with everything. Um, cancer comes to my mind. That's something that's growing that is devastating to a person's body. But in and of itself, it is alive. It is a living cell. So things that are alive are things that are growing. Growing trees are living trees. Growing animals are living animals. When something stops growing, what is it? It's dead. Came across this statement this week. 
It's only the things which are alive that swim upstream. The dead things all float along with the current. Where's your spiritual life at this morning? Swimming upstream, the current of the culture? Swimming with the Lord? Swimming with God's Word? Or, swim, or just being carried along the current as a dead nothing of a faith? As the church, we are a preaching, theological, gospel, converted, evangelistic, committed, and as we looked at last Sunday, disciplined people. All of those things work together to make us, what we're talking about this morning, a growing people. The Lord desires to see us grow numerically. I mentioned that I desire for us to grow as large as we possibly can, but that's not where the Lord's emphasis is. Even though he's always talking in his word about his kingdom expanding, that's not the emphasis of just, we got to have the biggest church, we got to have the most people in the world. It's always about deepening our faith. And when our faith is deepened, when our walk with the Lord is deepened, amazingly, more and more people are affected by the gospel. And so God is equally as concerned with our numerical growth as he is our maturing and deepening in our faith. There's all kinds of passages that we could look at this morning, but I want us to look at Mark chapter 4 and look at a a couple verses here, five or six verses here, beginning in verse 24. Let's read through verse 29. Mark is recording Jesus' teaching here on the kingdom, and he says in verse 24, And he, that's Jesus, said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. Now, Mark chapter 4, Jesus is teaching on the kingdom of God. He's sharing and explaining how it grows. It grows exclusively from God. The growth is not something that's man-led. It's not something that's man-perpetuated. It is simply the the work and the activity of God in and amongst people to bring about life transformation. He begins here in chapter 4 talking about the parable of the soils. Now, uh, back in November, I think it was November 15th, we were dealing with the subject of the fact that we are converted people. We began that looking there in Matthew chapter 13 at that parable of the soils. Four soils. You've got the, uh, the... the, the, the hard soil, you've got the rocky soil, you've got the crowded soil, and then you've got the fertile soil. And he talks about how the growth comes from and in those fertile soils, yielding 30, 60, and 100 fold of produce. And so we looked at that a few weeks ago. Mark includes in this teaching of Jesus on the kingdom this parable that we just read of the seed growing in the field. Now the seed grows while the farmer, Mark tells us, is sleeping or awake. And in fact, the farmer doesn't really understand how this growth take place, takes place. Jesus' point is not to promote laziness. So I, what I don't want you to get from this message this morning is I don't have to do anything God's in control. He's sovereign. Is he? Yes. We affirm that. The Bible teaches that. And the Bible would even say much of your spiritual development is out of your control. It's him working, using the spirit he's placed in your life to bring growth to you. 
but you have a role to play, and I'm going to explain that in just a moment. So we're not advocating laziness. We're not advocating apathy. In fact, the Word of God would speak vehemently against those two things. Instead, what we're seeing here is that Jesus is making the case that the growth of the kingdom of God is not finally dependent on believers. That's good news. Because when we go out to share the gospel with others, if we don't have a solid understanding of that God's sovereign in this, then we think it's all on us. Here's what I've seen. The people that I've, many of the people I've been able to lead to Christ or people I've been able to disciple, many of the times when I'm speaking or talking to them, I feel like I make a blunder of it. And yet God takes his word, takes his gospel and speaks it into their life. It just reaffirms to me, he's in control and not me. Many times when I've been overseas, I don't know what it is about being overseas, but uh, many of those places I've been, especially in undeveloped places, uh, so much different than America where we think we've, I mean, I'm always prepared. I preach from a manuscript. I mean, just doubly over-prepared about everything I do. At least I strive to be. And in Africa or Central America and other places, they're like, hey, pastor, we need you to preach for two hours and you're on in five minutes. And you have no preparation up to this point. And you're just like... All right, this is where I'm leaning on the Holy Spirit. Not that we don't lean on the Holy Spirit in other times, but we just roll with it. And so in that, it just reaffirms God is in control of all things. That doesn't mean we don't have a part to play. And so God is committed here to ensuring growth in his church. That's what I want us to see from these verses this morning. I want to share with you three principles on growth that I think we can draw from what Jesus said to those people there in Israel. Number one, and we've already kind of said it many times, God desires growth. God wants to see you grow. God wants to see us as a church grow. And again, I'm not speaking numerically, though that's part of it. God wants to see us deepen in our faith and broaden in our reach. So Jesus here said more will be added to those who've had, who have and are growing. Look back up at verse 25. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so more is going to be added to those who have, who have and are growing. But on the other hand, what he's saying here, what a person has will be taken away when that person is, has nothing or is developing nothing, has no growth, in other words, in his or her life. In the next verse, he shares a parable about seed being scattered on the ground. That's what we read in verse 26, 27, and 28. Uh, why would a... Farmer, or why would a person scatter seed on the ground? Think about what Jesus is laying out here. Why would a person scatter seed onto the ground? Is he feeding the birds? Is he walking along? He's got a hole in his bag? No, he wouldn't use the word scatter if that was the case. He would talk about how the guy has a hole in his bag and it's falling out. So why is this man scattering, this farmer scattering seed? It's because he's, he's expecting to produce a crop, right? Farmers scatter seed. I wish we had some of our farmers in here this morning. I'm looking for some of our guys that do big farming that uh, many times are here on Sundays. They could teach us a little bit about what this means to scatter seed. But I think we can understand easily here that scattering the seed is an expectation of a crop. So the growth of the kingdom and in the kingdom is taking place first and foremost because God 
desires it. God has a desire here to see people grow, to see his church grow, and that's why the farmer in the parable is scattering the seed. There's a desire to reap a harvest. God desires to see growth in your life. He wants to see us as his children mature and develop. He wants to see uh, us move from infancy to adolescence to adulthood, spiritually speaking. Man, we all love babies, right? Anybody not love a baby? Please don't raise your hand. It'd be kind of weird. But uh, we all love babies. I love babies. I think they're awesome. I like to hand the babies back to their parent when they need to change a diaper because we're past that in our, late, their, our life. But that's the point I'm going to be making here. We love babies, but we don't want babies to stay babies. Right? I mean, we may like, oh, you're growing up so fast. Let's slow down. Sure, we, we want to cherish those memories, but it's not, it's not normal for a human being to stay a newborn. Newborns are not supposed to be perpetual newborns. Newborns are supposed to move into toddlers and toddlers into, or bed babies and toddlers, bed babies to toddlers and toddlers to whatever other categories we have, pre-K and kindergarten and elementary. We want to move them into middle school and high school. We want them to go to college. We want them to, to get married and produce their own children. We love the stages of life. We even want to move to the latter stages of our life. Why? Because it's normal. It's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to develop. And God desires that same in our lives, spiritually speaking. This is a natural development and a picture of what life is. God desires growth in your life, physically as well as spiritually. Number two, not only does he desire it, he causes the growth. I pointed this out just a moment ago. But God causes growth. Remember, the farmer scattered the seed in the field. He tilled, he prepared the soil, he planted the crops. But Jesus points out that it's not the farmer who causes the growth. The growth takes place in spite of the farmer. This farmer, what he does, enhances what God is doing. The seed is doing what God intended for it to do, to grow. God is the one who causes that growth. And so this reality, it ought to produce humility as we recognize God is behind our growth, our development as a believer. Recognition, what does it do? It drives us to pray. It drives us to lean into him. It drives us to ask the Lord to grow us. Just as Paul uh, spoke admonishing words to the church there in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 13 says this. Paul says, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. May the Lord make you increase. May he make you abound in love for one another. See, as we understand spiritual growth, as we understand spiritual development, is we understand that it's God's will and his desire for us. We understand he causes the growth and all of that allows us and moves us to lean in to him. We should not throw up our hands and act like there's nothing we have to do. And this brings us to a third principle this morning. We see here that God desires growth. God causes growth. Thirdly, the farmer assists in growth. Farming requires a high level of faith, a high level of patience. Again, we're, we're Americans. When do you want your food? Yesterday. 
or maybe not yesterday, it'd be cold, uh, five minutes ago. We, we sat down at the table, we expect the food to be there, especially in this day and age where we're living now with COVID. We call ahead and we just pick it up at doors when we, when we walk in, right? Many of us don't even shop at the grocery store anymore. We shop outside the grocery store and we shop online and it, it's brought to us. So this idea of patience is maybe a little bit beyond our understanding today, but farming requires faith and patience. Think about what, what, what Jesus is saying in this parable. He says, the, the farmer sleeps and rises, verse 27, night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. So what is the seed doing? The seed is doing what God intended for it to do and what he created it to do. All the farmer does is provide the conditions necessary for a better harvest. So what does the farmer do? He scatters the seed. That's required of the farmer for seed to grow. He tills the soil. He, he cultivates the soil. He makes sure he takes care of the weeds. He waters it. He, makes, he does all the things to prepare the ground with all the right conditions so that it can have the best harvest possible. Does the farmer cause the seed to grow? No. God causes the seed to grow, but the farmer takes care of the conditions so that it grows optimal, Right? Optimal growth is what we are assisting in. <clears throat> Along the way, what happens? Sometimes the crop endures flooding. Sometimes it's hit with a drought. Then there's the scavengers that want to come in and steal and, and destroy the crop itself. You go back to the parable of the soil. It's part of the problem with that soil. It's rocky. And, and so the birds come in and they steal. Or it's hard ground. And the birds come in and steal the seed. That's what happens in farming. All the while, the farmers trust in the Lord with the growth. With or without the farmer's help, it still grows. With the farmer's help, though, the seed will grow and mature in greater numbers. It's going to yield more fruit. The farmer does not cause the growth. What he does is he assists it. Here's the statement I want you to, to just rest in this morning. The farmer actually has the capacity to aid or impede the growth. Seed's been scattered, and so the farmer comes in, cultivates, he waters, he fertilizes, he, he takes care of, you know, he puts the scarecrow out there maybe to keep the birds away so that he can protect the yield of the crop. Or he could come back after scattering the seed and just diss the whole thing up. He could come back and, and, and not, for, he could fail to fertilize, he could fail to do a lot of things which would impede the growth. Some of it's going to grow. But it's never going to be all that it could be. That's the point. So as a church, we understand that God causes growth in his people. But we also acknowledge, we also understand that we can aid and we can impede his work in our growth. But how do we do that? We aid his work as we sit under the preaching of God's word. We aid it as we develop our theology from the Bible. We, we ate it when we embraced the gospel. We ate it when we're converted to Christ. We ate it as we go and share the gospel with others, as we commit to the local church. The growth in your life that God desires will be aided as you commit to the church, to the people of God, rather than the opposite. It's aided as we discipline one another, as we speak love and truth to one another. We impede God's work of growth when we do nothing. When we just like, well, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm just going to do what I want to do. That's impeding the growth that God desires in your life. We impede it when we do not sit under the teaching of God's word. 
We impede as we don't read the word for ourselves. When we don't pray, we, we impede growth that God wants to have in our life. When we don't live under the gospel and share the gospel with others, when we don't do what we're supposed to do as a follower of Jesus, you're impeding his growth in your life. Are you a Christian? There's a very good, very good case that you may be. But it, not, it means you're not walking in fellowship with him. We want to walk in fellowship with him and his church. Y'all with me this morning? Looking out here, not sure. Again, long game. So let me give you four simple growth steps. Here's some practical things for you in the new year. And then we're going to land the plane. How do we grow? How do we grow in 2021? How do we make progress in the new year individually and corporately? Here's four simple things. Number one, read through the Bible this next year. We've, the last two years, we have promoted a, a uh, through the Bible reading plan. So we've done two different plans. We're going to offer a third one this year. I want to encourage you to do this. I've read through the Bible. You know this. If you've been here around here long enough, I've read through the Bible annually since 2002. And I've told you, perhaps the most profound thing that's helped me grow and develop in my knowledge and understanding of the word of God is not seminary. It's not a master's degree. It's not uh, a postgraduate degree. It's none of those things. The thing that I believe has solidified my understanding of scripture more than anything else is daily, routinely, methodically reading through the Bible each year. I want you to do this. So this plan is on the YouVersion Bible app. Many of you have used that. It's also the same app that we put our sermon notes on now. So I hope you're using that, <clears throat> but you can find this. It's called the, um, you can see it better up here. It's called the Bible Project Bi Biblical Storyline Reading Plan. It's really, really cool. So we're going to read it through the Old Testament the way the Jews in the Hebrew Bible would read through it. And then the New Testament's <clears throat> in the normal um, formation that it would be in your Bible, I believe. But here's the cool thing about this reading plan. The Bible Project does incredibly... Um, professional devotionals that will not be on every single day, but it'll be on a good number of the days. And so they will walk you through the theology, the biblical theology of what you're reading and how it connects with other things. What the Bible Project's seeking to do is, is to help people understand Scripture, not just from a historical standpoint, but how it connects to the story of Christ, the Messiah, and what the Bible is all about. So January 1st, when we begin this, the first devotional video, before you read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, is a seven-minute or so devotional telling you, explaining Explaining on paper, this drawing that's going to be drawn out, how all of Genesis connects together. Genesis 1 through 11, 12 through 50. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, devotional type thing that's connected to this. I want to encourage you to read through the Bible with us. If you don't, you have a smartphone, you don't use the Bible app, you can pick up the biblical reading plan. And then if you want, you can go on the computer and get the devotional videos yourself. But they're on either side of this stage here. You can pick up the reading plan on paper. So this year, how do you grow? Read through the Bible in its entirety. Number two, spend quality time in prayer each day. I'm going to give you four really, really profound things this morning. But here's what you need to be reminded of. The Christian life is not rocket science. It's not rocket science. It's easy as far as the mental side of it, the, the compensation side of it, or the, or the capacity. What am I trying to say here? It's a C word. Help me out. I'm trying to create a word. 
Rookie comp, comprehension. Yeah, maybe that's what I was saying. It's not hard. Read God's word. Spend time with God in fellowship and prayer. Be a part with be a part of God's people. I mean, it's really, really simple stuff. So pray. Seek God's face. Pray for others. That will help you grow in your walk with Jesus. Number three, recommit to regular fellowship with the church and worship and small group. You say, I'm here this morning. I'm grateful you're here. There's some who are not here this morning. They're watching us online. And I understand that, but don't allow that to be your normal. It's time to come back to church. Get whatever things you need to get and take as long as you need to take. I'm going to be diplomatic here, but online is not the same as in person. And it's not about just sitting in this crowd. You need to be in a small group. You need to have connection with other believers in your life, speaking into you. We need that to grow. So recommit to regular fellowship with the church and worship in small group. And then fourthly, find a place to serve in the church. If you're a setter, you're a soaker. And so things that soak up and never are squeezed out, what do they become? Sour. I remember my grandma used to always have that sponge up on the uh, kitchen sink, right? And if that thing didn't get wrung out or after a certain period of time, that thing didn't smell so good, right? I, I, I grabbed the hand tile in our vanity this morning and I began to dry my hands and I wiped my face after I uh, uh, brushed my teeth this morning. I was like, we got to change this tile. It's been a couple days. It didn't smell too well. So, uh, you know, if you smell sourness, it's because of the towel. It's Kara's fault. <laughs> I uh, saw this morning one of my friends in ministry, he's a pastor in Kentucky, and he was holding this mug, and it says, I forget exactly what it said, but it said something to the effect of, if you are mean to me, or if you do something to me, you'll be in my next sermon, or something like that. And so, fitting for her. <laughs> Payback. <laughs> All right, well, let's land the plane. Wow, I'm way behind, way uh, long, but we're playing the long game. God desires growth in your life. That's what I want you to see this morning. God desires growth. Is there growth in your life? Ricky, won't you come? Here's what I want you to think about. I gave you those four simple things. Is there growth in your devotional life? Is there growth? Do you have a devotional life? You need one if you don't. I don't want to beat you over the head this morning. That's not my goal at all. But you got to realize this is where I'm at, right? To grow, you got to you got to come to grips where this is where I'm at, right? If you ate too much from Thanksgiving to Christmas and and you're a little hefty this morning, like I feel like I was when I saw the scale yesterday, then I got to acknowledge that. I can be like, well, it's just you know, it's muscle. No, it's not. It's called table muscle, right? It's not where the it's not the pounds are packing on where I want them to pack on. They're in the midsection. But I got to come to reality with that. So if you don't have a devotional life, own that and commit to starting a devotional life. Read through the Bible. And if we will do it together, man, how much better is that going to be? Because you know, because many times for the last two years, because I know many of you are reading through the Bible with me, I will mention that if it applies somehow to the message. And it's amazing how oftentimes it does, right? What's your devotional life like? What's your prayer life like? What's your commitment love to the church? You come when it's convenient. It's America. We do anything and everything when it's convenient. Church should never be about convenience. I mean, getting up this morning, how convenient was that? It's not. I mean, I, I fall asleep early in the mornings, but I tried to watch that Liberty game last night. 
And finally, I, I woke up. It was like one minute, minute 36 left. And I was like, I just got to go to bed. It's 11.02. I got to get up at 4. And I, I got to get to bed. Why? Because church is important. It's not just a job for me. It's life. And then serving. We have so many people who serve in our church, but I was meeting with a family who's joining here in a couple weeks or this next Sunday and um, talking through where they could find a place to serve. And I just said, you know, the old cliche, 20% do 80% of the work. And unfortunately, I think that's a reality at Red Lane like it is in every church I've ever served. Let's, let's put an end to that sort of concept. Let's get more people serving. Use your giftedness. So we're going to move into a time of response. I don't know what the Lord's speaking to you. Maybe this morning you need to know Christ. I mean, you can't grow in your faith because you have no faith. Good news is God loves you. Bad news is you're a sinner. Best news is Jesus, as we've celebrated this week, has done everything necessary for you to be in a relationship with him. If you want to know more about that, I'll be standing right here during this time of response. You come. But I just want to ask you to just ask the Lord, what would you have me to commit to? What do I need to do better? Who do I need to bring in my, my fold, so to speak, to help me to grow in my walk with Christ? Let's pray. Father, we love you. We can only say that because we know that you first love us. God, as a father, you desire to see your children grow. Just as I, as a human father, desire to see my children grow, it's, it would not be natural. It would not be healthy for my girls to have stayed as an infant. They're progressing. They're losing teeth. It's normal. It's good. God, we know that you desire to see growth in us as your children. Help us to come alongside you as the farmer does. Scattering seed, we're tilling the soil, we're bringing water, fertilizer, we're, we're, we're keeping the, the things that would scavenge your seed away so that you can do what you desire to do. May we not impede that, but God, may we assist. I pray for those watching, those maybe sitting in this room, who cannot grow because there's nothing to grow. I pray the seed of the gospel has been planted in their heart and you would bring them to new life in Jesus. God, give them the boldness and courage to step out in faith and say, I want that. We'll give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing. Are you heard?